I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is Wednesday, March 29th, 1989. We are at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles, California for the 61st Annual Academy Awards. And boy, is this an interesting ceremony. Uh, let's just go ahead and, and rip that envelope. Uh, the envelope, please. And the winner is... Rain Man, Mark Johnson Producer. Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, please, everyone. This is the podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order, and we are your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance. And we're back! Okay, so you made a comment that this is a ridiculous Oscar ceremony, <laughs> and I read a little bit about it, too, and uh, I just just tell us, Rance, tell the good people, what the hell did they do in this opening ceremony? Well, a, a guy named Alan <laughs> Alan Carr, mm. um, who uh, had been a producer for years and years and years, um, uh, of course, uh, he was uh, apparently a gay man. Sure, um, that's <laughs> that's an important. I think that that speaks to his. Um, I, I mean, like, because here's the deal: as a fellow gay man. I really appreciated the camp factor of his opening number that was so maligned. Um, but essentially, what he never worked in Hollywood again. After <laughs> well, I mean, shit. holy shit! After <laughs> after this, um, in fact, no one has seen him since 1988. <laughs> well, he died ten years later. Oh Jesus! Um, okay, that of, I didn't know. Of liver cancer, so apparently he just descended into alcoholism after, I, I mean, like, a lot of this is uh, things that I am inferring, um, but uh, he just apparently, uh, I'm going to assume, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, let me just, <laughs> Alan Carr was a producer, he worked on things like Grease and Grease 2 and Can't Stop the Music, um, so very much campy musical type of type of things uh totally my vibe totally totally made towards uh with a gay audience in mind i'm sure um and he was chosen to produce um the 1989 ceremony for the 1988 movies and um it went very horribly uh, because <laughs> the opening number in which the character Snow White is goes into the shrine and with her Prince Charming, Rob Lowe, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> discovers Hollywood um, <laughs> through a huge musical number. And it starts with Snow White going through the theater and interacting with the patrons there are stars out tonight stars with glamour are gleaming and bright 
okay? Um, <laughs> sure. And, you know, so stars, you know, and they're like, you could tell they're like, this is weird. Because um, <laughs> Snow White has, you know, that typical, the the voice, like the girl, right. the girl does a great job. You know, she, I feel bad for her because this, you know, I'm sure ruined her career, but Ugh. she's not, she's not, she's good at playing Snow White. Um, it's just bizarre. And then there's like dancing tables at one point oh, no. on stage. Oh, no. Like they're at a nightclub and then at a certain point the tables like stand up and start dancing. And oh, at the tables, no. at the tables, there's various like classic film stars um, like Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, the cowboy people are over at one table. And then Sid Charisse is at another table. And it's just like, they're introduced and they like do a little thing. Sid Charisse does dance. And for 60, whatever years old she was at the time, she is fantastic and <laughs> easily the best part of the entire situation. But um, I think Mickey Rooney is there um, because of course he sure. is the woman who played snow white was under a gag order for 13 years like someone arrived at her doorstep the next day she didn't go to any of the after parties that she was invited to um she um went straight home to san diego where she lived and then the next day legal people showed up at her doorstep and said you have to sign this document saying you'll never talk about this uh, for 13 years, for 13 years. And then finally she gave an interview about it in 2013 and she described the performance, this is her words, as a gay bar mitzvah. <laughs> that uh, is Hollywood. <laughs> yes. Hollywood is a gay bar mitzvah. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I want to see her... I want to make sure I get her name right. Her name is, hold on. Uh, where is it? Hold on. Hold on. Any second now. Eileen Bowman. Eileen Bowman is her name. Eileen. Um, yes. Um, okay, maybe not. I may have made up the Mickey Rooney. It just felt like Mickey Rooney should be there. But Vincent Price <laughs> was there. We don't know. Um, maybe Alice he was Faye. one of the tables. We don't know. We don't know. Dorothy L'Amour, um, uh, Merv Griffin comes out and sings I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts. And then no, 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 Rob no. Lowe and then Rob Lowe and Snow White do a reworked version of the song Proud Mary. You know, rolling, rolling. And they like have Snow rolling. White doing Tina Turner. <laughs> yes. And it's like they're they rolling, but they're talking about the cameras rolling somehow oh i get it like okay it's it's just a fever that's a reach (laughs) it's just a fever dream train wreck that has to be seen to be believed it was so controversial um there was one person who wrote a um a a couple people who wrote nice things there was one talent agent named michael ovitz who told Carr he brought show business back to the movie business and actress Jennifer Jones, who we have discussed on the podcast, thanked Carr um, in a letter and said, you delivered. But <laughs> there were also 17 people who signed an open letter 
that said it, the telecast was an embarrassment to both the Academy and the entire motion picture industry. And the people who signed that included Paul Newman, Gregory Peck, Julie Andrews, Billy Wilder, and Joseph L. Mankiewicz. Oh, no. <laughs> so those are those would be the bigger names. <laughs> Sorry, Jennifer. You've been outranked. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, uh, a lot of people, though, note that, um, and one of the reasons I mentioned that Alan Carr was gay is the backlash did seem to be a little homophobic and concentrating on how it was like a gay nightclub act and the camp factor of it. And honestly, it's it's not very good. Um, I don't think it's as... I think it's it's <laughs> just so bizarre and unique that it's hard to... It's not good, but it's, it's hard not to be fascinated watching it because it's so sure. weird. Yeah. Um, and... I, I I imagine that in today's culture where um, the type of that type of camp, I think, is more socially acceptable, um, it might be taken in a different way. It also probably would have been better produced because there's there's um, a lot more expertise in that type of uh, campy performance than there used to be. But it is it is interesting to watch in retrospect. And I would. um <laughs> I'd recommend I'd recommend uh looking it up on YouTube because there is nothing quite like it. That is absolutely insane. Yes, I will. I will actually watch that as soon as we finish up here. I've actually seen part of it. There's like a video I had that was like the first 75 years of Oscar. Here's like a bunch of highlights from it or something. I had that like on VHS and that was part of it. There's like a tiny snippet of Rob Lowe and Snow White on stage. And I remember even watching that. I was like, what, what is, is going on? <laughs> this doesn't make Just, sense. I, I, go ed- edit in like right here, a clip of the Proud Mary, because that's the, <laughs> that's the crowning jewel. Lights keep on If you will, if you will. Um, Oh, how fascinating. Beautiful, yes. Okay, let's talk about some snubs. Because I'll be very honest with you, Rance. After perusing all the movies... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Stop the presses. We also have to mention that this was Lucille Ball's last public appearance at this Oscars. Oh, uh, Oh Uh, Lucille Ball presented um, with Bob Hope... um, the uh, another musical number called I Want to Be an Oscar Winner, um, which I, I think is probably just as campy, just not as notoriously so. Um, but uh, Lucille Ball and Bob Hope do that, and they're very funny together. And, um, you know, she didn't, she was not that old when she died, she was only um, 77. Um, and so uh, she's very she's still very with it and very funny. And I I have to say, like, um, as far as last appearances of a legend goes, um, this is, this is about as good as you could possibly want to go out, I think. So, um, of course this is not the last time we will see Bob Hope at the Oscars actually. So, even though he's been done for a while. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's go on to snubs. I am interested to hear what you will say because I, have a couple 
Okay, well, I'll be honest with you. I actually really don't have much of anything in terms of snubs. I'm actually very pleased with the nominations of this year. The movies that I really enjoyed are recognized where I think they should be enjoyed, or um, recognized. The only, the only movie that I think doesn't deserve to be here, so I guess this is a snub for literally any other film in the Best Picture category, I do not think The Accidental Tourist is a Best Picture quality film. I don't care for it. I don't care for it. Um, so literally put any other movie in that fifth spot and it is more deserving than The Accidental Tourist. That's the only snub that I have. What about you? I'm just curious, what's your, what's your problem with The Accidental Tourist? Oh God, I think it's boring. I think it's really, really boring and I don't care for William Hurt in it. And it feels like we're set up not to care about him, even though it's like starts in tragedy. But I... I don't know. And then I think his chemistry with Gina Davis is totally off. I don't know. The whole thing doesn't work for me. It's just very bizarre in terms of tone and performance. I don't like it. You know, you are perfectly welcome not to like that movie. I actually, (laughs) I don't have strong feelings about it, so I don't really care. Um, That's fair. uh, But uh, I really, really like a movie that came out this year um, that's called Big. Make my wish right. I wish I were big. Yeah. And um, I think Big's a really sweet movie. Um, it also is the first movie directed by a woman to gross over a hundred million dollars. Whoa! Yes. Go Penny Marshall! Come on! Of course, Penny Marshall. Love her career. Penny Marshall uh, started as an actress um, and is still probably best known for playing Laverne on the 70s sitcom Laverne and Shirley. Um, but she uh, she also, I think, had a recurring role on the Odd Couple TV show. And she did some other stuff. She makes uh, a lot of people today probably know her because of the cameo appearance she has in Hocus Pocus. Yes. Um, where she weirdly plays the wife of her real-life brother, brother, Gary Marshall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very true, um, very true. Very true. <laughs> um, but, uh, of course, that the Marshall family, Gary Marshall, very famous film director. Um, but, so, his sister also went into directing. And she did start out directing TV, but then she made her first movie, which was a big hit, Jumpin' Jack Flash, and then she made Big. And uh, Big is just a quintessential, wonderful uh, coming-of-age movie in the most bizarre way. And it's, a, it's a, a basic plot that could so easily come off, come off as weird and creepy. Because you have this uh, kid who wishes to be big, and he becomes an adult. Um, and he ends up having a romance with a... Um, a woman who is the big age that he appears to be. Um, Elizabeth Perkins uh, of Weeds fame plays the, uh, plays the other woman here. Um, Also, she played Wilma Flintstone in the Flintstones. Um, (laughs) Right. More importantly, more importantly in the live action Flintstones. Um, But uh, uh, this could easily come off like describing that, it could easily come off so creepy, but I think it works because of that female 
director behind being able to show a certain level of sensitivity that not all guys are able to tap into, I think. You know, she she takes the macho out of it that you might have seen with certain other male directors and she makes it very real. And um I love Penny Marshall. There is a movie in which I will talk endlessly about in a couple of years that she um <laughs> that she makes um that I am uh there may not be crying in baseball but I'm crying over its lack of Oscar nominations. Right, and, right. Um, some future snubs in the work. Some future snubs in the work. But I would have liked to have seen for this uh, excellent effort, a nice director nomination for Miss Marshall. Um, I love that. Yeah, throw her in. She's there. also she's also was married to a big time director as well, um, because she was married to Rob Reiner for a yes. while. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so that's that's one snub. Um. The other snub is it, it is represented in Best Director. But a suggestion for replacement of Accidental Tourist for you is um, A Fish Called Wanda in the Best Picture race. Okay, I love that. That's, that's, I would be totally fine with that. It got a direction nod. It got supporting actor, screenplay. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. What a wacky movie, too. It's so wacky. Um, and you know, mm. never, ever been recognized by the Academy always solid in everything she does would have loved to have seen jamie lee curtis in that best actress race oh right to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people i've known sheep that could outwit you i've worn dresses with higher iqs but you think you're an intellectual don't you ape jamie lee that i don't know where she goes because this is a stacked category this is i don't want to take anyone i don't think i want to take anyone out of this just because they're all they're all great. I'm just saying that she, I, I imagine she was the number six on this because she's really, really good in A Fish Called Wanda. It's a great movie. It Director is a great nomination for it. I'm just saying as a comedy, yeah, it is the tops. I think it totally would have worked in the Best Picture race as well. So. Yeah, I can see that. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, some spotlights. Okay, well, let me get into some of my spotlights because actually, you've already talked about one. I was going to spotlight big, but you covered oh, that okay. already. So thank you for doing that, actually. I love it when we kind of have similar ideas. Well, yeah, well, the I only just... thing that I would kind of add is that I would put big in the best picture. That's probably the one that I would sub in there. Um, but no, you kind of hit all the things that I was going to talk about. Um, the main one kind of being the sort of ick factor between this 12-year-old boy in an adult body having a sexual relationship with this other woman in her late 20s, Elizabeth Perkins, you know, because there has been some pushback on in the last no decade idea. or so. Who has no she idea has no idea. That's very important. It is very important. And I think, yes. yeah, all of what you said makes sense, you know, but there has been some flack lately that I've read about where people are kind of looking back on Big in a different way now. And wondering... I mean, and that's you know, a completely legitimate conversation because it, it isn't right, but it's also correct. really hard to judge in this fantasy movie. And I think, and to, to piggyback off what you're saying, I do think a lot of that has to do with the way Penny Marshall does direct this with more of a feminine touch, more emotional. 
But I think the real key here is Tom Hanks. And I think what so Big good. does so well is so that good. Big goes on to sort of create this version of Tom Hanks, his characters, that we're going to see him playing for the rest of his mm. life. And that is the yes. everyman, right? Big doesn't work unless every human being can see themselves in his 12-year-old shoes. You know, when we were all young, everyone wanted to be older. Now that we're older, all of us want to be young again. Like, these are very common themes that people go through every day. And Tom Hanks is just so good at encapsulating that and performing it. So we're going to see him sort of, you know, compound upon this performance in later roles um, that he will also win Oscar nominations for. He's really creating that Tom Hanks archetype that we're seeing now in future movies. So I love that Big is his first Oscar nomination. It's so deserved. It's also uh, and, kind yeah. of his first. It, it's his first um, really, like I would say, his first big star movie. Because while he is the star of several films that came before it, um, including The Money Pit and uh, Dragnet, uh, Splash, um, I think with Big, it like cements him as an A-lister. Oh, totally. I feel like Big sells because of Tom Hanks' performance, right? Like the reason it was such a huge box box office success is because the word of mouth was, you got to see Tom Hanks in this movie. And I mean, like, after that movie happens, you know, you have movies like Turner and Hooch making tons of money. <laughs> Which is such a sweet movie. <laughs> this is not your room. I, I know, I know, movie. but that's not necessarily a movie that would normally make a ton of money. But, like, everything he touches you wouldn't think turns so. to gold. Turns oh, yes. to gold after this. And then, you know, and then we get the the run that he has starting in, starting with A League of Their Own. And, you know, Sleeps in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13. It's just like Toy Story. It's just like, boom, boom, He really, like, he really fills in that void that Jimmy Stewart leaves off, right? He sort of goes, fits right in nicely into all those Jimmy Stewart roles that we saw him doing in the late 30s, 40s, and even into some of the 50s. This is that that very common everyman type of role. And um, I also cannot wait to, I also cannot wait to talk about his directorial debut. (laughs) Mm, yeah, which is another one of my favorite movies, but we'll get there. Yes. Um, the only other thing that I want to spotlight real quickly yes. is we have another Meryl Streep movie that she's ah! nominated for. I was going to spotlight this. So this <laughs> oh, is... perfect. We uh, can so tag we can, team this one, too. We can tag team. <laughs> uh, so this <laughs> is a movie called A Cry in the Dark. and Or, uh, or what is it? Some yeah. of the angels. Devils. Devils Angels, right? Devil, Devil Angels. De- Devil uh, well, angels? Hold on, I, I whatever the Australian name is. For, Evil it is an Australian angels. movie. Evil, Evil Angel. Angels, yes. which is funny because that's actually what it's listed under. Like if you Google a cry in the dark, it'll pop up Evil Angels. Because I think it's the, I, I the think actual Australian. Also, this uh, there's a talk show appearance she was on where the talk show host asked her to list all of her Oscar nominations, and she said one of the titles. And then whenever he whenever he said what she had missed, he said the opposite title of the movie, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, so yes, he yes, didn't yes, yes, recognize yes. that she had actually named the movie because there's two titles. Two um, titles. That makes yes. sense. But this is another great Meryl performance. We get another great Meryl Streep accent. Her Australian accent is so on point. You have to you have to say this correctly though. She is a Lindy Chamberlain, real life person 
was a New Zealand-born Australian woman. That is important because of those formative years that she spent in New Zealand. Meryl Streep makes sure that it is a New Zealand-tinted Australian (laughs) accent because that's how hard she works at accents. Uh, And this is is the, the movie where we get the now infamous line, the dingo took my baby. The dingo took my baby! Which people incorrectly quote as dingo ate my baby. It's not what she says. The dingo took took her baby. Um, And it's so great. What's so brilliant about this movie is that she's very passive in it, right? Because Lindy Chamberlain very very much was very passive. You know, once the kid was gone, she just had to make her peace with it. And the whole idea was when she was in um, the courts... Um, kind of being tested, uh, being con- trying to be convicted as a negligent mother. She's being painted in the media as this like unfeeling, um, non-caring mother maternal figure. Until mm-hmm. until we get the very ending where she finally breaks down and she does show that emotion that no, this is what she's just doing to get through this. There is actual feeling behind this stony facade she's putting up. From the Look, baby. Mr. Barker, I wasn't there. I can only go on the evidence of my own eyes. We're talking about my baby daughter. Not some object. You just haven't seen it yet. And that is such a beautiful moment when she's on the, the witness stand giving her testimony. You know, that's, it's, oh, it's so good. Um, but I don't think this is a win for her. I do agree. Jodie Foster is uh, remarkable in The Accused. So I'm fine with that. But I just think this is a movie that people haven't seen. And I want people to watch every Meryl Street movie. So I think you will be surprised by this one. This is an interesting category to talk about because, um, we got Glenn Close nominated again um, mm. and losing again um, in Dangerous <laughs> Liaisons, which is a really fun movie. Dangerous Liaisons, it by is. the way. Um, I really like it. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's a win or anything, but I like its representation everywhere. Um, yeah. A Working Girl, which is like an iconic 80s mm. film. Um, I don't think Melanie Griffith is a winner here either. I don't mind her nomination, but um, I kind of feel like uh she she was the perfect person for that role you know um, do you know hold on do quick quick tangent we have oh, to yeah, off we have on to working say. girl <laughs> real yes. quick um between sigourney weaver um and joan cusack who would you want for supporting actress well i need sigourney weaver to have an act have an oscar and this may be i know the, no i do too but i and have to give this to joan cusack in the miss the I, joan cusack's great you're right you're right. Oh, she's but, so fucking good in I'm Working Girl. She is my favorite punch. part. The one-two punch of this and Gorillas in the Mist, which, <laughs> I, I mean, might be the winner here. Because that is Sigourney Weaver, Weaver's probably her best performance, uh, Gorillas in the it, Mist. It is, and, but, uh, yeah. And, Go ahead. And it's, I know a lot of people, because yeah, there's a very strong contingent of Sigourney Weaver fans. Oh, you yes. know. Oh, and yes. and Gorillas in the Mist is the movie they always say that's the one she should have won for. Yeah. Um, Jodie Foster does win again, and her next one is 100% a slam dunk. The oh, accused. The issue is this is there's another female part that that is arguably larger than Jodie's. In her accused. attorney. Yes, uh, Kelly McGillis, right? Kelly McGillis. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and so the the question. Uh, 
I mean, would you, do you think that putting in her lead, I'm just going to ask you, do you think lead is the right place to put her? Yes, I do. Okay. And her or Sigourney? <laughs> oh, God. I I have to give it to Jody only because my favorite Sigourney is Aliens. That's what I okay. would give her the Oscar for. We haven't gotten there yet. So that's we? where I make that up. We Aliens have. That was 86? Oh, I, for, I forget when Aliens came out. Okay, yes. I think that was like 86. A couple years back. Um, so I think she should already have an Oscar at this point. <laughs> Well, let's look at the supporting actress category then, okay? Okay. Because we got okay. Joan Cusack and Sigourney Weaver. Um, so that was probably a vote split. I think, I think so, so, yeah. They, but then we got Gina Davis. I really like Gina Davis. I don't mind Gina Davis having an Oscar, but it's the accidental tourist, so. Yes, and that's my thing is that I don't, ah. I mean, she is a true supporting player in this, and she's probably the best part of the accidental tourist. I still don't really care for her. I think it's uh, it's almost kind of a caricature. It seems, I don't know, this movie lives in some kind of heightened version of satire that I just do not agree with. Uh-huh. I think Gina is far away better in um 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 with Susan Sir Randin and they're driving off a cliff and they're going to die. You mean- Thelma and Louise. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. It's a rather Thelma and movie. Louise. I think she's brilliant, Thelma and Louise. So, but also, like, eh, I, mean, I don't need Gina Davis then, to have an Oscar. But Gina Davis can't win for Thelma and Louise because that's where Jodie Foster she's nominated again <laughs> so true, so true. I, I, she's, she's in all these Jodie Foster years but like we can debate about the accused I don't think there is a debate about the Silence of the Lambs that's one of the no we'll Can't get stop. there that's that is the Jodie's Oscar of all time um, all time may I use your phone please <laughs> um, that was good thank you I've worked on it no, basically um, <laughs> what I'm saying is I don't really need Gina Davis to have an Oscar. I really don't. Okay. I think I, I'm fine with her being nominated, but I would have loved to have seen Joan Cusack want, take this. I also want Sigourney Weaver to have an Oscar. I want Michelle Pfeiffer to have an Oscar. There's so <laughs> many There's so many things I cannot have right now. Certainly and not this year. These people are still alive. They could still win an Oscar. This is possible. You know, True. these people are still working, you know. Um, so, you know, Glenn Close, good Lord, when are you going to get your Oscar? I, in the next five years, it'll happen. Hope if not competitive, they will give her an honorary. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm not upset with these winners and I will just briefly (laughs) say if nothing else, Kevin Klein winning for a fish called Wanda is perfect. Perfect. That is deserved. Love. I love Kevin Klein. I love that Oscar. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have anything else to to spotlight because I was going to talk about Cry in the Dark. So um, love that. Well, let's get over to the main event then. Let's okay. Let's take a dive into our best picture winner this year, Rain Man. So this is a road trip movie about a pair of estranged brothers, uh, one who's been hidden away in a hospital, and the other who kidnaps him for leverage in obtaining their now dead father's estate. So this was your yes. first time watching Rain Man. So give me it your was. thoughts. What was your what was your initial reaction after you finished the movie? Um, 
I I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have not mentioned this yet, but this is the the best picture winner of 1988. So this is my best picture winner. This is um, you. This is the birth of Rance. <laughs> and I like to think of myself as a Rain Man of Oscars, mm-hmm. um, which you are. But, uh, oh, and so are you, sir. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I. Um, you know, I was thinking while I was watching it because, you know, our understanding of mental health has progressed so much in the last 33 years. Oh, yes. And um, I'm, I was thinking about what would be different if they made it today. Um, you know, they would probably cast a, a an autistic actor to play this role, if possible. Um, and you wonder, you know, what is and isn't kosher now when you're watching a story like this one. Um, But I have to say the way in which it is handled, I think is very humane Mm -hmm. and very, um, and at least for 1988, very uh, sensitive. Yes. And that's what I thought was the, the, the best part of the movie was that it really, want you to look at people who are mentally challenged in whatever way as uh, as the human beings that they are and this movie does a very good job of of humanizing and they do um use some real mentally handicapped people um when they are in the scenes at the institution so mm-hmm. there's that but um I, I do wonder if this would be Dustin Hoffman playing this now. Um, oh, I agree with you. Yeah, I think they would definitely hire somebody who is at least a little on the spectrum, maybe if they're not to the extent that his character actually is in the film, I think they would hands down hire somebody who's at least on the spectrum. Because think about movies today like only a couple of years ago, Peanut Butter Falcon, right? That Shia mm-hmm. LaBeouf movie where they they had hired an autistic actor and he does so well. And I think it just yes. proves that they are as effective as performers as anybody else so i think they would have hired someone and that is the argument that tom cruise's character is making and i think in a way tom cruise represents a more modern way of thinking about handling uh mentally uh handicapped people um where it it is about love and sensitivity and realizing that these are people with feelings and what is upsetting the challenge in this movie is uh, how upsetting it is that the, the doctors don't recognize that humanity. Um, And they're not really, I don't think they're villains necessarily. Um, But I, I do think the movie is telling you that I I don't know. I don't know. Cause I, I know I see where you're going. I like yeah. where you're going. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't. I don't think the doctors are villains either. I think that they are just as informed as you could be at 1988. And this was probably the best care someone like Available. Dustin Hoffman's Raymond. His name is Raymond in the film. Some. I... It's like the best care he could have gotten, you know. But you're right. Tom Cruise is his point of view and his character is showing the audience that the healing power of love and especially family mm-hmm. can overcome some of those obstacles. And if we treat people like Raymond, like actual human beings, they will act like human beings. Yes, Yes. it might be a little longer or it would be a little more challenging 
right? But yeah. still, they're they're all there. You know, there's a human being there who's capable of doing yes. way more than you might think. And I that's I wish that the solution had been in the film. And I realized they were going with something that was very emotionally impactful and probably realistic, but um I wish that maybe a, a I mean like it's it's Los Angeles. Surely there's a facility closer, closer to right. They could have just moved uh, him there. Where he could have gone. And if he if he you know, they were saying at the beginning that he doesn't know the difference between right. place, you know, then then why not if he doesn't know if they no if they're saying we have to have the goodbye yeah. scene. We have to be <laughs> we have to see we them to leave each other. Have that drama. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, uh so I, I think that the movie, um, as a movie like just looking at it as a film. I think that it is a good movie. I think there is a little bit of fat in the film. I think you could I think you could I, I think it could be twenty minutes shorter. Mm, yeah. And just as good. Um, because it is a two hour, fifteen minute movie and I'm all about movies coming in under two hours. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh but um but it is it is it is really good. Um you know I our conversation about uh, casting uh, an actor who's actually on the spectrum, clearly that wasn't happening in 1988. I, I wish that had been something in consideration at the time. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder who I want to win best actor in this situation just because of that. Well, let's talk um, about that for a second, because what do you think? I mean, you said that, you know, Dustin Hoffman still, you know, plays this role very delicately and effectively. So then, is he your true lead? Would you know he's in a lot of the movie, but Tom Cruise arguably has the larger part. You know he does. He does have the larger part. I would is say it a co lead? Certainly, I think it's a co lead. What's interesting is I was looking through the nominations the movie got um, throughout the country. You know, with the various like critics associations yeah. and newspapers, and um, there were a few that did nominate Tom Cruise for supporting actor. <laughs> <laughs> which is <laughs> now none of the majors did that, but I right, did course, see that in course. a couple of like newspaper critic association. And I'm like, yeah, um, because he, I think he definitely has the larger of the two parts, but I, I don't think Dustin Hoffman's supporting. I think it's a co-lead. Yes. Know? Um, so yeah, would you, I don't, I wouldn't nominate him. You wouldn't nominate Tom Cruise. That was my follow up question. Would you give him a nom? Do you think he does enough good work here to warrant a co-leading nomination. I think he does better work later. Yeah. Honestly. Well, in the next year, let's talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk yeah, about Born on the 4th of July nominated. next year. Yeah. Um, right. But I think I this mean, is definitely Tom a Cruise... stepping stone for him to be taken seriously oh, sure. from the Academy, right? For sure. For sure. Yes. He, um, he had a very good... 1988, my, could, you could even point to as the year that he really, he really took off because um, Risky Business had already happened. Um, and that was his... his first big big thing yeah but um but he also had a movie that was the number one film the week i was born um <laughs> called cocktail <laughs> there cocktail it is that came out this year uh which was a huge hit and then he had rain man which was the number rain one man. movie of the year and the best picture winner mm. and um it was also the highest grossing film of 88 by the way um yeah. so uh you know he um he definitely had a good one. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, so here's what I my favorite part of Rain Man 
is the screenplay. I think the writing in this movie is so yes. spot on. The way everything is kind so of revealed good. in layers, right? Because the top of the film, Tom Cruise doesn't even know he has a brother. It's not until the father's dead and the whole will, uh, all the money basically, is entrusted to the institution holding him. And that's what leads him onto this path of discovering, I have a brother. And what I think is so great is we don't even really hear him say Rain Man until it comes out of Dustin Hoffman's mouth. And then Tom Cruise puts it together because as a child, he had this imaginary friend, the Rain Man, who was actually Dustin Hoffman when he was a kid. He just didn't remember him as being a a real person. And that reveal to me, I think, is so great. I think that's one of the great movie reveals because you don't see that coming, right? We're kind of waiting the whole first half of the movie. When is Rain Man coming to this? What is going on? And then it clicks. Raymond. Rain Man. I don't know. I just think that's brilliant. And that's the twist. The second half of the movie, I think, is far better than the first half of the movie. Once he discovers who he was to him as a child. And then we even get more layers peeled back that... He, uh, Dustin Hoffman, was sent away because the parents thought he had almost killed Tom Cruise as a baby when he put him in the bathtub in the boiling hot water. So, you know, we're seeing all these things getting revealed here um, little by little as the screenplay reveals itself. And I think mm-hmm. it does it so well. So I, I really, really admire that about the screenplay of the movie. Well, uh Barry Morrow was the screenwriter and he uh, wrote several scripts Uh, based on people with disabilities or extraordinary talent. Um, And this was based on a real-life savant named Kim Peek. Um, And uh, apparently he has put his Oscar statuette on permanent loan to Salt Lake City in memory of Kim Peek. Oh, wow. Um, uh, I believe Kim Peek uh, lived in Salt Lake or in, yeah, yeah, in Utah. Um, And he puts... He put money forward. Um, I'm reading for Wikipedia right now. Put money, put forward the money for the Peak Award, which pays tribute to artists, media makers, and film subject subjects who are positively impacting our society's perception of people with disabilities. And you know, this is probably looking at the net positive from the situation because you can you can retroactively debate whether or not um, an autistic person should have taken on this role. I, I think nowadays we would all agree, yes, that is what should happen. But this movie is most certainly a huge stepping stone into the humanization of uh, people who are different. And definitely. Uh, and that's that such is... a great rewarding conclusion to the movie, you know? So there was something that happened, though. You, you mentioned the term savant, who um, uh, this movie's character is based off of. This movie did kind of, I guess, kind of ill-inform people and made people think that anybody who is autistic, no matter where on the spectrum, has yeah. these higher abilities that Raymond has in this movie. Ray, can we try something? Yeah. Do you know how much 312 times 123 is? 38376. He's right. What? He's right. He's right? Yeah. Ray, how much is 4,343 times 1,234? 535-9262. He's a genius. That's right. The numbers, the counting, 
stuff like that, which is not true. But, you know, this is where we coined the term, oh, he's a rain man. You know, if he can do one thing exceptionally well, suddenly he's a rain man. And I think that has sort of spun out of control out of the movie since it was released. Yeah, it's a it's a simplistic reading. I don't know how much of that is the movie's fault, though, because the movie doesn't That's true. doesn't say anything. Uh, it, it doesn't push forward untrue statements. It just in fact, um, it actually shows the doctors not really knowing much about um, savants or autistic people in general. Like when he's he when Tom Cruise brings um, Raymond to see a doctor just to find out what is wrong with him. He even mentions, oh, I've heard something about this. Are you good with numbers? You know what I mean? So it's like it's all kind of he said, she said stuff because this wasn't really talked about. You know, this really hasn't been explored at this point. And 1988 was not that long ago. So thinking that how much we how much more we know now since 88, Mm -hmm. like just think how much more we're going to know in 20 years from now. Right. Wild to me. Um. You know, so so looking at this category, yeah. Um, you know, D- Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning, Working Girl, all really good movies. Um, and I, I don't know, I may like Dangerous Liaisons and Working Girl more as things I would just watch. Right, the watchability, you know? yeah. Um, but I do think Rain Man is a good Best Picture choice. Um, because of, I, I think it probably has had such a net positive impact on society. And I think that having it as best picture allows people to continue to discover it. And it's such a feel good movie. You know, by the end of the film, you just mm-hmm. want these, t- you see how much love there is now between these two brothers who a week feel before good? feel good. I, I mean, think yeah, it is. yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, the ending. Well, think of it this way. He goes back to his home where he has all of his, his things. His brother is going to visit. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I you see know what I mean? Talking. I feel like it ends the way it kind of had to back then. Of it course did. you want it them did. to get together. But what I love is that they don't. It doesn't really go for the full Hollywood ending of let's tie everything up with a bow and it's neatly packaged. No, it's a little yeah. unfinished, okay. right? Um, I agree. But yeah, I think that, you know, it, it, that says something when you leave the movie theater kind of feeling really good. <laughs> you know, like, oh, this was actually a really good movie. Whereas other films, especially Mississippi Burning, which is just factually inaccurate, um, The Accidental Tourist, which is trash garbage, Dangerous Liaisons, which is a beautiful costume piece, but we've, you know, we had Amadeus only a few years earlier. And that leaves Working Girl, which I think is a rom-com and maybe wasn't taken as seriously as a Rain Man was. Even though Working Girl is probably my pick for Best Picture. I love that movie so much. (laughs) I can watch Working Girl from any point in the film and just finish it. I think it's fabulous. It's so good. And it's Mike Nichols. Come on. Um... I mean, we, you and I, we've talked so much about Mike Nichols. I, we really do. He's one of my, he's he's one of my all-time favorites, and he just knows um, how know, to construct his, a movie. Uh, I can't wait till we get to. Is it nineteen ninety that my next favorite Mike Nichols film comes along? That I am. Mm. Um, do you know what movie I'm talking about? I kind of don't. What are you talking about? I'm talking about something that involves your favorite person. Oh, yes, it is. 90. I see you now. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. And the writing mm. and, the, and who wrote that movie. 
Fabulous. Can't wait to talk about Fabulous. Okay, so why why do you think then Rain Man won Best Picture over these other ones? What is it that put Rain Man over the edge? Is it just the package deal of Tom Hanks and Dustin Hoffman? And it clearly had a lot of momentum going its way because um, it was the highest grossing movie of 1988. And that um, says a lot. And, and that does say a lot. And uh, certainly the fact that it was popular with both critics and audiences yeah, I mean that's uh that's a killer combination, you know. Definitely, absolutely, um, yeah. I think it really is just a very enjoyable movie. I love it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it was. Uh, I, I'm good with it. I'm good. I am too. Yeah, I'm very fine with it being our best picture winner. Okay, we have we have one more year in this decade, Rands. We are going to discuss 1989 next week and the best picture winner, Driving Miss. Daisy. Have you seen Driving Miss Daisy? Controversial. This will be my first time. Very. This will be your first time watching it. Okay. Have you seen Do the Right Thing? <laughs> I have. I have okay. seen Do the Right Thing. I <laughs> so also this is what we're going to be discussing else. next week. <laughs> I've also seen something else that I loved from that year um, called it? Glory, Foot? which is Glory. Glory Another brilliant. Which is not yes. nominated um, for Best Picture. So I will have much. Yeah. This will be a hot button about. year to talk about. Yes. It will be. Oh, it this is going to be a good one. Absolutely. Also, all right, guys, so, my, one of my 10 favorite movies of all time came out in 1989. So, Holy shit. Hold on. Can I figure this out? It's it's Henry V. It's got to be Henry V. <laughs> <laughs> like Henry the fifth. Henry, Henry V. Five. You made it sound like there was a Henry 1, 2, 3, 4 movies, not not uh, <laughs> Like people there were. <laughs> people there were i there was not it was you made it sound like um like rambo part part, you know (laughs) kenneth brana is rambo (laughs) what is your favorite of 89 i mean i'm gonna leave it as a cliffhanger okay we'll find out for the audience we'll find Um, out but it is a movie i'm going to talk a lot about (laughs) <laughs> I love that. So, folks, tune in then next week, and you can hear us talk all about 1989 and one of Rance's favorite movies. Oh!